Well, I don't know about you, but I've been noticing that some of my neighbors are putting up Christmas lights. Uh, have you noticed that? Uh, actually, there was some that put it up like two weeks ago. I mean, they're just getting a start. Um, welcome to springtime, by the way. Uh, we kind of we jumped winter, I think, this year. But, you know, it is that season. Uh, in just a few weeks, we're going to be entering into Advent, uh, that time where we anticipate Christmas and we think about what's going on, and you'll see some things happen around here that get us in that time of anticipation. We also have this really cool American holiday, Thanksgiving. Uh, It's actually considered the highest traveled holiday of all the holidays throughout the year. And so many of you are going to be around family and friends and hanging out with people that you haven't seen in a while, and many of you are looking forward to that. Uh, Some of you are breaking out in a cold sweat thinking about that. Um, Because it's a little bit of a mixed bag at times. There are going to be some things that, uh, some memories that come up and some challenges that some of us may face in in the middle of that. So we're going to take a peek at that today. And we're going to look at it in the context of this section of Scripture that we have been kind of referring to almost every week. That we, uh, it's on the front of the bulletin. Um, It's what we feel like the Lord has been saying for us to pay attention to in the next several months. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And so what does that look like um, with our family? I think to properly understand that particular verse, we have to look at it within the context that it was written. If you look at the book of Micah, uh, you, if you see the common themes, this is one of the, uh, the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the general theme, you'll see this kind of um, transitioning from, from doom to hope. It goes from God's judgment on the people for their disobedience to him offering them hope that if they repent and come back to him, he always provides hope. That it's a general theme of the entire scripture is that no matter what kind of mess we make of our life, he always offers hope to pull us back in, uh, to pull us um, to that connection with him. So this particular uh, section that we quote from here is in the midst of a scene. And as, as we read it, you're going to see it's, it's a little bit like a courtroom. So if you can kind of envision a courtroom setting uh, in your mind here. starts off with, listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. You know that story well. It's the story of Exodus where God brought his people out of slavery into the promised land. He goes on in in verse 5, says, My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. If you know this story, King Balak um, was really nervous about how Israel was growing in numbers. And he was afraid that they were going to overrun his region there. And so he went to this sorcerer named Balaam and asked Balaam to cast a curse against the Israelites. And God slipped into Balaam's dreams and, 
And Balaam could only say the words of God from that point forward. He couldn't say any curse. He could only say the words of God. If you know the story well, he actually used a donkey to talk. Um, If you remember uh, that scene, once again, God looked after his people, protected them. He goes on, remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal. Now, you have to say that word just in the right pace. Um, You can't say it too slow or too fast or you really get in trouble, okay? Um, That you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. This S word um, place was actually the last place that the Israelites camped before they crossed the Jordan into the promised land. Now, if you read that section, you'll see that uh, there were these Moabite women that had actually lured the men into the temple to have sex with them in the temple. It was a very um, grievous time of disobedience um, in the Israelite community. Gilgal was the city that they camped in the moment they crossed into the promised land. And so once again, God delivered his people from this place of sin and disobedience and distraction Uh, back into a place of redemption and celebration. God is just saying, look at all these things that I've done for you. I've taken care of you. I've protected you. I've pulled you out of mess one after another after another. And I would just say, isn't isn't that true in our life? Uh, He's done so much for us. He's brought us out of so much. He's taken care of so much in our lives. Yet, what do we do? We continue to go off track. We continue to want to do it our way, um, um, make our plans and purposes come alive instead of leaning back into him. And so Micah here in the next verse begins to speak up on behalf of the people once their hearts are convicted and they want to turn back to God. And so he says, in essence, to God, what shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord and how and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Oftentimes see this initially when somebody is has been broken and they've gotten themselves into a mess. Uh, Janice and I were talking this week. We think we've had so many, I don't know what's going on. We think there's like two double, two full moons out or something. Um, we've just seen people in incredible messes and distressful situations. And oftentimes when a person finally, if their heart is convicted and they come for the first time and to sit down and, and confess their heart, they're, they're like, like willing to do anything. You know, and they're talking about all these things, all, you know, kind of these extreme things, almost like I'll give my firstborn, I'll do anything mm-hmm. to, to heal my family or to correct my situation or to get back in, in God's good graces. And, of course, God knowing that we have a tendency to do that, we have a tendency towards this extreme, and we want to kind of serve penance somehow. Let me give this big sacrifice that will tell you how sorry I really, really am. And God has spoken in other parts of Scripture, says obedience is better than sacrifice. And so he goes into this, uh, this verse where we have found this, this statement. He has, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, 
and to walk humbly with your God. He's not looking for some big penance for us to give our firstborn. Preston will be happy about that. Um, that uh, to sacrifice our firstborn. But he's looking for a change of heart that we will step in. That's what repentance means. It just means that I have a change of heart. Instead of going this direction, I'm going to turn, turn a corner and I'm going to go this direction and now walk in obedience. And so how do we do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly, particularly with our family uh, during this holiday season? We've been talking the last, the last several weeks about accepting people right where they are, about valuing them even if we don't agree with their values, even if we don't agree with the things that they're doing, loving them and accepting them right where they're at. Well, how does that apply to our family? You know those people that push your buttons? They know more about you than anyone else, or at least they think they do, and they have the ability to irritate you faster than anyone. Now, a lot of us are really looking forward to being with family over the holidays. And probably in the next two months, you will spend more time with your extended family than you will the whole rest of the year combined, all in close quarters. And some of them, you're so excited to see. I have not seen Aunt Susie since last Christmas. I just can't wait to be with her. And then there's some that you just really don't want to be around. You know, Uncle Harry is so crazy. It's so hard when we're all together. But how do we show value and love to those people? Our expectations are so high when we go into the holidays. We often go in looking for some affirmation and maybe some acceptance that we haven't gotten before. And sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. But how do we step into those times and really show God's love, his mercy, and his acceptance to the people around us. I believe that God has called us to be a healing presence with everyone that we encounter. I think we're supposed to bring healing and hope to everyone as believers, whether that's the person in the checkout line or that's the mom that you're standing next to when you're um, picking up kids from school or somebody at work. I think that's our role as believers. We bring healing to people. We bring hope to people. So we want to talk about how do we do that with our family? How do we do that with some of those people that are around us? Now, just in case you think other people don't have the family issues that you do, let me say this. Brent and I spend November and December preparing our clients to be with their family for the holidays. Then we spend January helping them recover and heal from being with their families for the holidays. And just in case you think the really spiritual families don't have any of those issues, we've got a couple examples in Scripture that you can see. You remember the life of Joseph, one of the great leaders of the faith, uh, one of the brothers of 12, and his brothers were jealous about him, of him, and, and they just weren't a little bit critical or judgmental. Um, a little bit stronger than that, Genesis 37, uh, Judah, one of the older brothers, said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? So you can see that they're plotting to actually kill him. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. What well, isn't that nice? <laughs> Instead of killing him, we'll just sell him into slavery. 
Now, just stop for a second and think about your family. Doesn't this help you feel better? <laughs> that your family's not quite as bad as this? <laughs> Jesus, of course, his family dynamics were perfect, of course, right? Uh, Mark 3.20, then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Some of your family think you're out of your mind for some of your beliefs and some of your, the stands that you take on things, and so you're, you're, you're not alone in that. Now, every family has stuff. Every family has brokenness and limited humans involved, and if you happen to think that your family doesn't have any quirks or any issues, you might actually be the one that everybody has, has <laughs> challenges with. So how do we do this? How do we do justice and love mercy and walk humbly this holiday? We really take a look at the upcoming holidays and we separate out all of those things that we have to do with it. You know, as, as the holidays get close, it's like, okay, did we make the airline reservations? What about the hotel? I need, may need to make sure I have a gift for so-and-so. Did I do something for the teachers? I have to do that. Oh, how am I going to deal with this many people in my house? I don't even know if we have enough chairs to have that many people in our house. We start spinning into all of those things related to the holidays. But if we, don't stress anybody out yet. Okay. Uh, but if we separate out what are the holidays really about, they're really pretty incredible. I mean, think about Thanksgiving. Yes, it's a national holiday, but as believers, when we think we are setting aside this day, and in some cases several days or almost a week, to just say, God has blessed us so much. Let's just stop and be grateful for everything that he has done in our lives. And then immediately after that, we start in this season of Advent. And Advent is the anticipation of the Christ child coming. It's God is coming in flesh for us. And it's reflecting on what he has done for us and the dramatic transformation in the world and in our own lives because Jesus has come for us. And so if we think of that, it's an incredible time of the year. And it's a time that we can really celebrate and enjoy. So how do we do this where we have a beautiful holiday season, where we enjoy the people around us and enjoy what God is doing, where we learn how to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly within the context of our own family? You know, I think when God tells us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly, it's not because that's the right thing to do and you are a good person if you do that. I think he tells us to do that because that's how we're made to operate. We will be more peaceful. We will be more content if we are walking in the way that he's called us to walk. So let's take a look at that. Do justice. How do you do justice in the context of family? I may be different if they were falsely imprisoned or somebody was being exploited. But what does that look like when you're talking about your family? I think doing justice is treating fairly, appreciating respecting, serving well, treating people with reverence, and vindicating. I think a lot of it starts with appreciating, looking for the good in everyone. Everyone is God's treasure. Now, sometimes it's hard to see that. Sometimes because of choices that people have made or attitudes that they have, that treasure is pretty tarnished. 
It's pretty buried. But part of what we're called to do is to see that in the people around us and really call it forth. Mention what it is. Let them know, I value this about you. I appreciate this about you. We can choose to look at the negative in the people around us, and it's going to be there. Or we can choose to look at the positive in them. You know, when we talk about Philippians 4, 8, the one that says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on those things. We focus on that, and it's good. That's what we want to look for is the positive. But sometimes we miss the end of that verse that says, and the God of peace will be with you. When we are focusing on the positive of those around us, we're going to be more peaceful. If we go into the holidays and go, oh, I can't believe they do this and this and this. That just drives me crazy. Then we're not going to be at peace. We're not going to be able to enjoy it. But when we look for good in everyone, we're going to have that deep sense of peace. I think uh, to do justice also means we protect, we stand up for, and we don't wrongly judge people. That's really easy to judge, isn't it? That is so natural to slide into that. And especially with your, when you are with people that you grew up with, it's like we had the same parents. We had the same opportunities. They could have made different choices than this. And we so easily look at their lives and we judge them. It is not our responsibility to teach them how to live. Our responsibility is to accept them, to love them, and to value them. We've talked a couple weeks ago about, um, you know, when somebody judges us or looks down on us or parents us, we automatically put up a wall. If you judge me, I'm not going to listen to a thing that you say. But when I feel accepted, when I feel loved, when I feel valued, not only do I relate to you more, but I'm more open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I can hear more clearly what he says when I don't have those walls up. So as we value people, as we appreciate people, I think they're more open to what God wants to do in their lives. We can love people even if we totally disagree with them. We can value them even if they're living a life that we don't approve of. So look for ways to protect and to look out for the people in your family. Many families have a black sheep. And people either look down on them or they get in little corners and they gossip about them or they separate. Everybody kind of stays away from them and that person is by themselves. Look for those people in the family that you can stand up for, that you can be there to be loving towards them, that you can be the one that sits next to them, that encourages them, that asks about their life. Look for people that you need to protect emotionally. You know, you may have some people in your family that have been through a really rough year this year. You can be the one that runs interference when somebody asks a tacky question that you know puts them on the spot. You can change the subject or say, come on, come help me fix gravy. Or will you help me walk the dog? You can be there to stand up for them, to protect them, and to defend them in a quiet, sensitive way. Be sensitive to the needs of your family members. You know, if you're hosting Thanksgiving and you have one single adult person that's coming, don't put them at the kids' table. Even if it throws off the numbers at the grown-up table. Even if you have to crowd everybody together. 
Do what you can to respect and value people. Look for ways that you can make them feel more comfortable in the situation. If you're going to visit family, if you're going to parents' house or grandparents' house, or maybe one of your siblings is opening their home um, this holiday, uh, you know, it's so easy for us to go, gosh, I'm going home to mom's and I just get to kick my feet up on the table and watch football and I don't have to do anything, you know. Um, think about what you can do, do to serve them. That's doing justice. Serve them well. How do you love them and care for them in those circumstances? One of the best ways to do this, you've heard us talk about love languages. Some of you are familiar with love languages. One of the best ways to know how to serve people, the best way is to look how they love. Because the idea is that people give love in the form that they need love. So look at how your family that you're visiting loves my mom is an acts of service person. Uh, she's just a little busy beaver wherever she's at and just wants to serve and help. And that's just part of her love language. So she's going to receive acts of service in the best way. And so when I go to her house, I try to serve her. I try to do everything that I can to be helpful because I know that that is most meaningful to her. Um, she's a words of affirmation person. She loves little cards. She doesn't email. She's 83. And so uh, she likes little cards. And so we try to send her little cards and make sure that she gets those cards. And I don't just sign my name to the card. I write a whole little thing of appreciation and value because I know that that's what she needs the most. If you have people in your family that just like to hang out with you and catch up with you, they like quality time, do the best you can of spending some quality time with them. Hang out with them a little bit and answer their questions as best you possibly can. If you've got physical touch people, you've got Aunt, Aunt Susie that's the hugger. Um, now, I, my dad was a colonel in the Army. I wasn't, a, I'm not a, we don't come from a huggy family. And so outside of my immediate family that I'm very huggy with, I'm not a real huggy person. But I've seen people in my extended family that that's how they give love. And I know that that, that is the best way for them to receive love. If people, if you're, some of your family give little gifts, then that's what they need. They need little gifts. And so show up with something. Show up with flowers or show up with, with uh, something that can be a little gift for them if you're um, going to be with family this year. Do justice in their life. Now, if you're hosting, what I encourage you to do is to eliminate all expectations. Don't expect people to do anything. So only host, only invite people in for the certain amount of time um, that, that you have um, that you are willing to totally care for them with nothing in return. It's like what you do when you loan money to people. I tell people, don't loan people money or only loan them a certain amount of money that you're okay if they never pay it back. And so care for people as if, so, as if they will never pay it back. And so if uh, it will help you not get resentful. I can't believe they're not in here helping. I can't believe they don't clean up anything. They just left their dishes. Um, just don't expect that. Just go into it. If you're inviting them to your home, go into it that you do everything. And if they pick their plate up and bring it over to the counter, woohoo! you know, it's like a beautiful thing. It's like something that you didn't expect. And so position yourself right so that you don't set yourself up um, for negative feelings. Love mercy. I think that's a kind of forgiving treatment of someone who could be treated harshly. 
you're not only going to be with some people that have made bad decisions in their life, you're going to probably be with some people that have hurt you over the years or that have hurt you in your past. Mercy means that we respect people and we value people and we treat them kindly, even though we have a reason to be mean to them, even though we could hold a lot of resentment and a lot of grudges. We choose to let go of those things. We choose to let go of those um, grudges that we have had over the years. And it also means we don't have to insist that we are right and that we do things our way. I remember in early uh, in our marriage, one of our first Thanksgivings, we all got together with the extended family and we had a huge issue that came up among two family members over how you make mashed potatoes. One of them was a pause that we would consider draining the water off of it because that's where all the vitamins were. And the other was a pause that we would use water to make mashed potatoes because everybody knew you used milk to make mashed potatoes. Well, the two of them ended up crying, door slammed, um, over mashed potatoes. We can get so upset over things that have no eternal value whatsoever. Let those things go. Life will go on however the mashed potatoes are made. Let those things go and enjoy the time that you have together. You know, you guys know I do a lot of marriage counseling, but I also do quite a bit of mother-daughter counseling and sister counseling and mother-in-law and daughter-in-law counseling. And when we go down to the root issue of a lot of the things that have caused the separation in their relationships, many times it has to do with what someone wore to the wedding or what gift they gave. Separations in relationships, grudges that are held on to for such simple things. I encourage you to take this time to let go of those grudges. And that even means the grudge towards your brother for the way that he treated you growing up. There is more peace if you will let go of those things. Now, that doesn't mean you say they're okay. That doesn't mean it's like, oh, yeah, it was great that he was a jerk all the time I was growing up. It means you choose to respect them for the adult that they are now, and you choose to give them value because you are choosing peace and you are choosing to show love over anything else. Now, my children say that I have monopoly trauma um, from my brothers growing up. So I have forgiven my brothers for the trauma that they caused me over monopoly. But I have chosen to set a boundary that even though my older brother is 65 years old, I will never play Monopoly with that man again. (laughs) So we love people and we forgive them, but it doesn't mean it's okay the way they acted. (laughs) Now, for some of you, we recognize that when we think about family, that some of you have had some severe hurt and trauma from, from some of these people that are so important in your life. Uh, and that has been devastating. There's been abuse. There's been very difficult circumstances. And we acknowledge and recognize that, that there are, because of that, that you may have separated yourself from them. That is not a lack of mercy. That's just simply wisdom. God has never um, 
ask us to put ourselves in harm's way, somebody that could actually continue to abuse us or traumatize us. Now, for most of us, um, the hurts have been um, disappointments or um, people have been critical of us or that they've said things about us or they just um, do things that, that are frustrating to us. And, and, and the key in our life to really be able to love mercy is, is to know how do we forgive. Because a lot of times people will not even recognize what they're doing or they will never acknowledge it. And so how do we forgive? How do we release offenses? The number one problem that I have seen over 30 years, we deal with most every circumstance, many of the circumstances we deal with every day, is people have been hurt and they're, and they're dealing with hurts and bitterness and resentment because of what other people have done to them. And they are desperately trying to figure out, how do I live free and, and release those things? The number one problem is, is that they can only focus on the hurt. When they think of that person, all they think of is the sin, the, the, the criticism, the rejection. And so when they have that person's, um, um, when, when that person comes to their thoughts, immediately they think of that. And if that's what you focus on, you will get angry. You will get bitter. You will get resentful. That's the, that's the way this, wor- this works. But if you can find um, a, a pathway to see them differently, it can change your life. One of the definitions of mercy is to get inside the skin of another, see what they see, feel what they feel, experience what they've ex- they experienced. That's why God has mercy towards us. He knows all about us. He knows all the stuff that we've gone through. He knows why we sin. That's why he doesn't just smite us all the time. Um, He recognizes that that we sin out of our own weakness, out of our own fears, out of our own anxieties. Because of that, he pulls us back. He can consistently forgive us. And so we have to get a picture of, of how God sees the other person to be able to find a place of freedom um, in in our life. And so this holiday season, I encourage you to pray for a vision of what is it about that person? What are they acting out of? What is, again, the the weakness? Get inside their world. Um, This particular analogy is the best analogy that I can give you after 30 years of working with people, trying to find a pathway to forgiveness. It's as if when we're hurt and we think of that thing that they've done for us, it's as if we collect a pebble in our hearts. Now, if you do that just one time, a pebble isn't that troubling in your heart. Now, it, it, you start feeling it a little bit over time, but, but it's not going to overwhelm you. But if every time you think of them, you collect another pebble. If you see them as a dirty, rotten scoundrel, you'll collect another pebble. And over time, that those pebbles can accumulate and become like a boulder. If you are carrying a boulder, a large rock in your heart, you're going to be, you're going to be burdened down. You're going to be overwhelmed. Um, your heart's going to begin to bend over. That's what I find a lot of people, the circumstances that they come to me in, is that they're, they're burdened down by this resentment. Uh, because of these hurts. And every time they think of that person, they just keep collecting pebbles. And if you're over, if you're bent over, and I'm sorry, the glare, you might need to, you might need to put <laughs> sunglasses if you have them, just pop them on real quick, okay? Um, if you're bent over, you don't see clearly. You're, you're not real objective. You see very narrow focus. 
But if you can get a vision of the weakness that they uh, have hurt you out of, every time you see them the way God sees them, you'll get rid of a pebble. Now, you don't see them one time. You don't get this vision of, gosh, I understand that, that they really did this out of their own insecurities. And then all of a sudden, it all goes away. It doesn't work that way. That's why forgiveness is a process. But every time you see them with that new vision of how God sees them, you'll get rid of a pebble. And if you'll do that over and over and over again, every time it comes back to your memory, um, you will begin to walk more freely and walk more uprightly. It really comes down to your choice. It really has nothing to do with them. That's why we say forgiveness is a one-way street. You can forgive somebody even if they don't ever change. If you see them rightly, you can, your heart can be free of, of these pebbles. I believe that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 18. Peter comes to him and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, in the Jewish culture, you only had to forgive three times. And so I think Peter thought he was going to get, you know, he was doing really good. He was going to double it and add one. And he was going to come to Jesus and say, seven times? And he thought that Jesus was going to kind of give him a, like a spiritual merit badge or something. You know, way to go, Peter. You're my man. Of course, goes on and says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, in other version, it says 70 times seven, which is 490 times. Now, I've wonder, always wondered, which is it? Is it you can stop forgiving on the 78th time? Or is it the 491st time? Because there, you know, there's a big difference between us. <laughs> We've come to understand that that number seven is just means forever. That's the word for eternity. But over and over and over again, we have to be able to forgive. But God also knew the reality was that most of the time, people are not going to hurt us 490 times. As a matter of fact, most of us humans, when people start hurting us, if they don't stop hurting us, we'll just pull away from them. And we won't hang, out, hang around them anymore. We won't allow them to hurt us anymore. God knew that it wasn't that they were going to hurt us that many times, but he knew that we would remember it that many times. You're going to remember it 490 times or 490,000 times. So every time it comes back to your memory, you have an option. Am I going to see them as a dirty, rotten scoundrel and I'm going to collect a pebble? Or am I going to see them as a needy, broken human that did this out of their own needs and I'm going to stay free and I'm going to release pebbles. So that, that cousin, that 40-year-old cousin that just has to brag about himself constantly, that just is so irritating to you, if you get a vision of him as a 12-year-old that is just desperately needing for somebody to pay attention to me, somebody notice me, if you can see them at the point of that need, you'll be able to release pebbles. That person that is critical, that every time, every time the family gathers, they just criticize everybody, you can count on the fact that they have been deeply criticized in their life. That person that just has to put on this kind of perfect little picture and, and every time you talk to them, they just talk surfacy and they just act like everything is just fine and they don't ever really deal with anything real. You can, you can count on the fact that they fear open, honest, real, genuine relationships because they fear rejection. If you can see them the way God sees them, you can walk justly um, and, and with mercy in their life, and you can be free. 
expect that there's going to be some things that would happen that you could take offense at or that you could feel slighted by. We have humans that are all together, and those things are going to happen. And you choose whether you take an offense or not, or whether you choose to let it go. One of the techniques that I work with my clients about is if you have someone in your family that is just constantly offending you, work on seeing them as decades older than they really are. For instance... If you went to the nursing home to see Granny, and Granny is 98 years old, and you walk in, and Granny says, oh my goodness, you have gotten as fat as your brother. (laughs) Or, oh, I thought you were your mother. You've aged so much since I saw you last. You would think, oh, bless her heart, Granny has lost her filter. (laughs) Now, it may still twinge, But you go, you know, Granny's old. She's just going to say that kind of stuff. It's okay. Look at your 27-year-old sister-in-law the same way. There's going to be people that are going to say things that rub you the wrong way. But if you look at them and go, bless her heart, that's just as best she can do. It's going to keep you from having those offenses. So prepare yourself going into it so you don't have to collect those hurts. You don't have to collect those negative things over the holidays. We just look at people and go, bless their hearts. I'm just not going to take it that way. And if you go into the holidays thinking everybody here likes me and they all think I'm awesome and you keep that perspective, you're not going to gather the hurts and the wounds You'll allow things to roll off of you. When uh, Preston was in K-4, he came home from school one day, my firstborn child, he came home from school one day, and he goes, I have a new name. I said, you do? Yes, the teacher called me the caboose because I'm always last in everything. Yeah, as, the, uh, <laughs> as a mother who is a counselor, whose four-year-old was labeled in his first experience at school, I was not a happy camper. So I went to the teacher and I was like, "Um, I heard that you called my son a caboose. And she goes, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, I I was having a bad day and I get so frustrated because he always has something he has to do before he leaves the classroom. And so he's always the last one out the door. And I just got frustrated. So that day I was like, come on, little caboose. We have to get somewhere. And she said, the funny thing is, Preston was so excited about being called Caboose because he, he just assumed it was awesome. So he was so excited that now all the kids want to be the Caboose. And, and we have to start taking turns in who gets to be the Caboose every day because Preston made him think it was awesome. So <laughs> we choose how we respond to things. And when we assume the best... We're going to feel positive, and we're not going to collect those hurts and those wounds. The last one is walk humbly. I think walking humbly is depending on God rather than our own abilities. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be healing to people around us. If we try to do it on our own, we can't. We need him, and we need his power. And as much as we want to go into the holidays and relax and go, I don't want to do anything but eat and sleep and watch TV, 
don't get away from your time with the Lord. This is the time over the holidays that we really want to press into our relationship with him, that we get the chance to spend more time in scripture, to spend more time in prayer, not only so that we can grow, but then we're going to be more open to the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we're going to be open to him using us in the lives of other people. So work on saying, I'm going to spend more time with God, not because that makes me a better person over the holidays, but because I need that power. I need his presence. I think one of the things that humbly means is I accept the fact that I'm not always right and that other people have a right to their own opinion. We really, 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 and I can't say this enough, we really can't change other people. We think we can. We think if I just talk to you long enough, you will understand that you're wrong and this is what you should do. No, they're not going to get it. Our job is to love them right where they're at and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in their life. We talked several weeks ago about do you trust God enough to know that he is working in the lives of the people that you love? Or do you feel like you have to get your point across? You need to make sure that they know what they're doing is wrong. If we can relax and let God work, you know, he's a lot more powerful than you are. Sometimes we forget that. But let's let God work in the lives of our family and not feel like we have to be the ones to make sure we get our point across. The holidays are not the time to get your two cents in on this particular issue. The holidays are the time to love people around you. Now, there's going to be some things that may come up. You guys may be together with extended family, and it may be time to tell dad we need to take his car keys away from him. It may be time to talk about whether we need to put people, put our parents in assisted living, or whether we need to confront our brother about his drinking problem. Those are things that we do privately and discreetly. We set aside a separate time for that. This is not the time to slide it into the dinner conversation. Hint, hint. Maybe they'll pick up on it. Or I'll be sarcastic and maybe you'll get what I'm really saying. Those are things that we deal with privately. It's not your responsibility to fix your family. It's not your responsibility to figure all this out and make them live right. You don't have to slip the plan of salvation into your Thanksgiving prayer over the meal. (laughs) And that pressure that comes upon you. One of the things that I've learned in all these years of counseling, because I pray for people as they leave my office every time, is it is much more powerful if I pray and thank God for that person. When you're praying for your family and you say, I am so thankful for my family and what they have meant to me. Lord, bless them. Help them to feel your presence. Help them to feel surrounded by your love and and your acceptance. They're going to be much more receptive to him than if we try to get some point across in the midst of our prayer. Our job is to love them. Work hard at not arguing over the holidays. Holiday arguments can come up very, very easily. A lot of times that's because we're either trying to be right and get our opinion across or because we have a lot of people in a very small space that aren't used to being together and we've eaten a lot of junk food. (laughs) And so we get, as we say at our house, crispy with each other. 
one of the best ways to avoid crispy conversations is to plan ahead of time. Set your boundaries ahead of time. It's okay if you don't stay at their house. It's okay if you get a hotel. It's okay if you ask them to get a hotel. It's okay if you limit the time that you all are together. It's better to have a short time together that you enjoy each other and that the family gets in the car and they drive away and go, oh, I hate leaving. I wish we could be with them longer. I wish we lived closer than to have them get in the car and go, oh, I'm so grateful that Christmas comes once a year because I really never want to see those people again the rest of my life. It's better a short, positive time together than a longer time that we get irritated. When we become adults, we have a right to our own life and to our own boundaries. It's okay for us to not have to be together all the time and not do things a certain way. If we can respect each other, if we can respect their boundaries, if we can value them, then we can have positive and loving holidays. Once you stand to your feet, I'm going to ask our servers to come. As we've shared all of this, um, the purpose of this is not for you to go away and go, gosh, I just want to do good and do better. And uh, This is not about willpower. We talk about doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly. It's not about us just being better people. It's about us being submitted people recognizing that we have brokenness in us, we live around brokenness, and that we need him. When we come to the communion table, we recognize that we need a touch from him. We need that influence and the power of his strength to be able to walk this out. Now, we've got pages of specific things that we could have gone into today and things that we talk with folks about. And, but as you just submit yourself to him, he will give you wisdom on how to step into your family situation. If we pass the microphone around this morning, we hear a variety of stories about all the different um, kinds of things that are going to be experienced this holiday. But we come this morning needing a touch from him. And I am suggesting we come this morning expecting a touch from him. And so let's prepare ourselves for that so that we can then become his representatives in the world. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we look to you now in the bread. Lord, your life, substance of your life, Lord, we, as we take this bread in, Lord, we take you in. We receive your strength and your power in a greater way in our life. We trust you for that. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we now receive you in the cup. Your blood, the very essence of life, Lord, we need your life to represent you well. 
as we prepare ourselves to come and submit to him and receive him today. Let's, let's pray as he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We declare the mystery of our faith this morning. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come because it is the Lord who invited you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Come and receive.